to come to consumption, and his wife and children were destitute. His wife, Molly, was obliged to face the humiliation of appealing to the overseers of the parish poor, who, on average, paid out three shillings a week, when the minimum needed to scrape a living was six. Joseph, Mary's elder brother, was apprenticed to an upholsterer, but during 1811 Joseph made a remarkable discovery while he was walking along the beach. Buried in the shore below Black Ven, a strange shape caught his eye. As he unearthed the sand and shale, the giant head of a fossilised creature slowly appeared, four feet long, the jaws filled with sharp interlocking teeth, the eye sockets huge like saucers. Joseph had uncovered what was thought to be the head of a very large crocodile. The site was then covered by a mudslide, and nearly a year elapsed before Mary came across a fossil there, buried nearly two feet deep. Working with her hammer around the rock, she found large vertebrae, and then glimpsed ribs buried in the limestone. She gathered some men to help her, and gradually they revealed an entire backbone made up of sixty vertebrae. The shape of the skeleton was like a huge fish with a long tail. As the fantastic creature emerged, they could see this had been a giant animal up to seventeen feet long. News spread fast through the town that Mary Anning had made a tremendous discovery, and the local lord of the manor, Henry Henley, bought it for twenty-three pounds. The strange creature was publicly displayed in London, and it baffled the scholars. Geology was in its infancy, and paleontology didn't exist. The peculiar crocodile was inexplicable. As news of Mary Anning's discovery reached scholarly circles, one of the first to visit her was William Buckland, a fellow of the prestigious Corpus Christi College at Oxford University. Buckland's greatest passion was for undergroundology, as he called the new subject of geology. Many of his holidays from Oxford were spent at Lyme, where he explored the cliffs with that geological celebrity Mary Anning, in whose company he was to be seen wading up to his knees in the sea, searching for fossils. At the turn of the 19th century, Oxford University was steeped in an Anglican tradition in which the scriptures were the key to understanding history. Most of the college lecturers took holy orders, and Buckland was himself ordained in 1809. For over two centuries, scholars had tried to estimate the age of the earth by taking the Bible as evidence, and in 1650, the Archbishop of Armagh, James Usher, had concluded that God created the earth the night preceding Sunday, 23rd of October, 4,004 years before the birth of Christ. His calculation had been made by adding together the lifespans of the descendants of Adam. Far from being ridiculed, this was accepted as an excellent piece of historical scholarship. The Bible had other geological implications that were to prove equally challenging for the early geologists like William Buckland. In the biblical creation story, God made the heavens, the earth, and every living thing in seven days. All creatures were made simultaneously. There is no prehistory in the Bible, and no prehistoric animals. Moses also described a universal flood in which all the fountains of the great deep and the windows of heaven were opened, and the entire face of the earth was wiped out, destroying all creatures except the few saved in Noah's Ark.
One highly respected 17th-century naturalist, a German Jesuit, Athanasius Kircher, produced a detailed paper on the dimensions of the ark and its animal contents. This approach was still flourishing in 1815. William Buckland knew that anomalies unearthed in the rocks during the 18th century had challenged religious scholarship. Many stones resembling creatures or plants had been uncovered in locations that defied explanation. How could it be that seashells were found on the peaks of the highest mountains? Was this evidence for the flood? And if so, how had such vast amounts of water been suddenly generated and then fallen away? If fossils were the remains of animals, why were bones of tropical animals found in cold northern regions? Stranger still, why was it that fossils resembling fish buried in one rock could be covered by layers of rock that contained only land animals and in turn have shells?